Hey, thanks, Dave. It's great to see everyone. It's a beautiful bluebird day in Ferndale, and I hope uh, wherever you're at, you're also enjoying some beautiful weather. Uh, I was just thinking as uh, Dave was reflecting on family, we are going to be talking about family. And per usual, uh, Dave says something much more interesting and helpful than I can ever say. So I think I've said this before, but let's cue the doxology and get an early lunch. So <laughs> kidding, of course. Uh, we're going to continue our tour through First John. And uh, we're going to be in chapter two today. So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to that uh, chapter two, starting in verse 28. And we're going to read a free, few verses uh, all the way to uh, chapter three, verse three. And we're looking at the theme of adoption, uh, what it means for us to be a spiritual family together. And I'm going to start reading, and then we can uh, jump in and uh, with a few few reflections on this passage. This is uh, starting in First John chapter two, verse twenty-eight. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If we know that He is righteous, we may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone thus hopes in him, purifies himself as he is pure. Let me pray for our time together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that uh, it would be a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. We pray that your spirit would illumine our minds and cause your word to dwell richly in our hearts. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, we're going to take a few minutes to reflect on this passage and uh, what it says about the theme of adoption uh, for us to be in a spiritual family with each other. And uh, this aspect of the, the Christian life, our being in a family, both with God and with each other, is something that really gives expression to uh, the intimacy that we experience with God. And uh, our union with Christ uh, provides us with all sorts of blessings and promises uh, but really the, the promise of being counted as God's uh, children is one that connects not only with our minds, but also with our hearts as well. And uh, there's a few different aspects of this adoption we're going to look at. And we're going to say uh, very briefly that adoption uh, gives us new relationships. Adoption gives us new duties and adoption gives us a new attitude. So we're going to take a couple minutes to, to look at things uh, in that order. And first off, what we see in this passage is that adoption uh, entails a new kind of relationship, uh, a relationship with God, a relationship with each other. And this is how John puts it in chapter three, verse one. He says, see what kind of love the father has given us that we should be called children of God. Uh, John is, is telling us that uh, to be uh, united to Christ involves uh, all sorts of things. Having our sins forgiven involves different uh, responsibilities, but uh, really at the heart of all this is that we get to consider God our Father, and uh, He considers us His children. And there's all sorts of duties, there's all sorts of expectations, 
that come out of this. The fact of our uh, sort of paternal relationship with God is what grounds and directs everything else in the Christian life. And on uh, this side of heaven, there are many different types of fathers. And uh, yet our relationship with uh, God as our father is a special kind. Uh, it's special because we are uh, naturally not children of God. Uh, we have to become children of God. And there is a sense where we are a, a kind of spiritual orphan. Uh, we, we lack a, a spiritual home. We lack the, the comforts and benefits of a family. And uh, what John tells us is that God actually calls us into his family. And this calling is not, you know, somebody shouting that dinner's ready and you've got to get upstairs. It's, it's, it's a kind of calling that is a, a movement towards us in our homelessness, in a sense. And uh, God actually uh, moves towards us in a very determined and desirous and even delighting kind of way where his goal is to bring us near into his family. His goal is to give us a kind of spiritual home. And um, this, this relationship with God as our, our father is not one where um, uh, he uses uh, shame to motivate us. He's not trying to guilt us into uh, being part of his family. Uh, he's not a, a father who's angry and unpredictable and, and really can't be trusted. Uh, the, the bedrock of what it means to have God as our father is this kind of um, adoptive love where he moves towards us, calls us and draws us to him, giving us a home with himself. And when we are uh, brought into this family with God, we uh, find that we are now in relationships with all sorts of other people. And this is the other half of what new relationship looks like, is we not only have relationship with the Father, but we have relationship with everyone in, in our church as a kind of um, spiritual sibling, uh, that we uh, encounter each other as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is how John puts it in uh, verse 2, chapter 3. Beloved, we are now God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared. Uh, John is, is telling us that, that collectively uh, we encounter each other as, as brothers and sisters. And this is not a, a fact waiting to be realized. This is not something you have to, uh, uh, requires a certain kind of assent to really be true. Uh, there's no uh, practice that, that uh, really uh, makes this realized. It's just kind of a fact about being a Christian. You now have uh, each other as brothers and sisters. And this is, uh, this is a very big deal because um, uh, this, this type of uh, relationship that we have as a, a family relationship is different than a lot of other kinds of relationships that we have in the world. And uh, family relationships are, are unique because in a, in a meaningful way, uh, you don't get to choose them. Uh, most other relationships you get to choose, and yet family relationships you don't get to choose. And, uh, you know, that the means that you're in a relationship with people who maybe don't have the same temperament as you. Uh, maybe there are uh, uh, flaws that are easy to overlook for you. And maybe people's flaws run right against your pet peeves. And either way, we're all stuck with each other. And um, one of the things that marks relationships that you choose is they're always based on affinity, right? You share something in common. Maybe you share a hobby. Uh, maybe you share a, a life stage with other people. Maybe there is a, a temperament uh, compatibility that's, that's helpful. 
And relationships like this, they, they form very quickly and yet they're never that deep. You can, you know, your, your best friends right off the bat and yet it's hard to bring the deeper, more difficult parts of life uh, into these kinds of relationships. And in the churches, it's kind of this interesting thing where we have family relationships with each other. Uh, we don't get a, to choose who we have a family relationship to. We're just kind of stuck with each other. And sometimes those relationships jive really well. Sometimes it's really difficult to be in relationship with people. And one of the great things about this is that as hard as it can be, it's an opportunity to have gospel relationships with people. And a, a gospel relationship is, is one that's it's built on kind of the same relationship that God has with us, uh, where it's, it's a, a kind of a determined, self-originating love for another person that brings them into your life. It's, it's this, this will to give somebody the benefits of your family. And so we're kind of graciously sharing the benefits that God has given us to each other. And uh, this ends up forming uh, uh, deeper, more, more meaningful relationships. And there's, uh, of course, nothing wrong with having relationships built around affinity. And there's nothing wrong with saying that, that church community or spiritual community can be really hard at times. And as much as it's, it's a curse at times, it's also a blessing that the Lord offers to us to enjoy uh, deep, meaningful gospel relationships that are formed in the same way that God forms relationship to us. And now uh, we might say, well, these relationships sound really great, um, but how do we actually find them? So the what is the family. The how, though, is how do we actually build these type of relationships? And this leads to our, our second point, that, that uh, life with God, that being part of this spiritual family, not only entails new relationships, but entails new duties as well. And uh, we all know that being in a family, growing up in a family, you have chores. There's things that are expected of you. If you're a kid, you probably have to make your bed or unload the dishes. You have to be kind to people. You have to do what your parents tell you to do, all these sorts of things. And there's uh, no big surprise that being in God's family involves also certain duties and expectations. And uh, you can sum up really all these duties that are expected of us as imitating the Father. And the main duty that we have is to be like our Father. And this is, this is what John says in uh, chapter 3, verse 2. Uh, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. Uh, John is, is saying that part of what our lives are moving into is a kind of likeness with the father. Uh, we're, we're supposed to, to imitate the father. And in fact, this would have been a very uh, familiar idea in the first century uh, when this was written. Uh, children are supposed to be like their, their, their parents. In fact, the oldest child was supposed to be kind of a, an apprentice to their, their dad. And they were supposed to study him, follow him, uh, kind of knows how he speaks to people, what he does. And, and then for the, uh, the reason that one day he's going to be kind of the man of the family and he's going to represent the family name. And what we're doing in our imitation of our heavenly father is that we're studying him, we're kind of following him for the sake of being able to represent the family name well. And um, 
what we're really following it, uh, following, we're studying is of course how he treats people, but it's especially how he treats us. And uh, what we want to imitate is, is the way that he shows forbearance towards us, the way he shows generosity towards us, the way he's forgiving towards us. And we're asked to kind of go model that in the world. We're supposed to model uh, his traits, his characteristics in the world. And I think this, this idea of imitation is uh, really important because it helps balance a question I've struggled with for years. And I bet some of you have struggled with as well. And, and that is the balance between uh, license and legalism. And, and license is, is saying, uh, because God loves you, you can do whatever you want, right? And, and at its worst, it's, it's saying something like, I'm going to do something bad because I know God's going to forgive it. And more commonly, it's, it's really lacking a kind of seriousness about our obedience and our faithfulness to God. And the other side of that, though, is, is legalism. In legalism, it's very worse as saying, you know what, I have to be perfect for God to love me. God's not going to, he's not going to accept me unless I've got it perfectly together. And more commonly, it's, it's kind of saying, you know what, I want to prove to God he didn't make a mistake in accepting me. And God saved me. And now I have to really, you know, really make sure he did not regret that decision in doing that. And what, what imitation does is it helps us kind of balance both the, 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 the license and the legalism. And what, what imitation uh, says uh, to legalism is it says that mercy and kindness that you're supposed to go show to others is exactly what you've received. It's not just some, some you know, rule you're supposed to follow, but you've actually been a recipient of the Lord's mercy and kindness. And it looks at license and says, if you really understood grace, it would actually impact you. Grace is not something that you just receive and then deflects off you. It's something that you absorb and it changes you. And so imitation is, is uh, imitation of the father is a goal that allows us to wrestle with um, uh, trying to stay in the middle of license and legalism. And, and John qualifies this. He, he doesn't think that, that, uh, Imitation is something you can just pick up and learn like you would in a book, right? There's no, no seminary course called, you know, guaranteed sanctification. There's no school programs you sign up for. There's no spiritual retreat that will that actually make you successful at this. And, and the, the thing that we need most to be imitating the Father is the work of the Spirit. And, and John talks about this through the, the language of being born again. He's saying that the, the Spirit is uh, renewing our hearts. He is literally uh, killing a part of us, and then he's bringing to life other things, qualities of the Father in our, in our hearts and minds. And the part of scripture where this language is made famous is in um, John 3, where uh, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, and um, Nicodemus approaches Jesus and says, um, you know, it's clear you're from God. You have some, some affiliation with God. And Jesus' response is very interesting. He responds to him by saying, the thing you need most in your life is the spirit working in your heart. Kind of not the answer Nicodemus was wanting to hear. And, but, but Jesus tells him that, that really for him to access the Father and the kingdom and everything this entails means that the spirit has to be bringing to life different parts of his heart. Has to be renewing his heart, vivifying his heart. And our whole uh, our whole projects at imitating our father 
uh, really happens uh, through the renewing work of the Spirit. And as we are prayerfully depending on him uh, through the means of grace to make us more like his Father. Well, here's the last way that uh, adoption, uh, one of the last features of adoption, not only that we have new relationships and new duties, uh, but we're told in this passage that adoption brings about new attitudes as well. And uh, our being in the family of, of God uh, gives us two attitudes. One is that um, we actually experience loss at the father's absence. And, and this is what John says in verse 28. And now little children abide in him. So when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. And what John is, is telling us is that uh, in a very real sense, uh, the father is going to appear. And that also means that the father is absent from us in a certain way. And uh, we know that God's presence uh, through his spirit is working and active in the world. And yet it's, it's also important to acknowledge that we live in a, a moment in history, in a moment in, um, in the world where, where God is, is actually uh, absent from us in a certain kind of genuine, real way. And I call this uh, the Ecclesiastes effect. And Ecclesiastes, if you've ever uh, uh, read it, it's, it's a book where uh, the world's not making sense. <laughs> the world's, uh, you know, God seems distant, absent. The, the, the moral universe is disordered um, and, and up is down, down is up. And uh, this Ecclesiastes effect is, is kind of what, is it, what does it mean uh, when God seems distant and absent? And, and a very important part of our uh, adoption is that we experience this, uh, uh, the effect of God's absence in some way. The world is not fully as it should be. And, and what that means is that as we, uh, as we struggle in our own lives with this kind of Ecclesiastes effect, this kind of absence, it always doesn't mean that you're, you're necessarily unspiritual. It doesn't mean that there's, there's something uh, wrong with you. But what we're experiencing is actually uh, something very familial where our father is off doing his business right now. And there is a, there's a kind of distance, a kind of separation from him which we're actually supposed to experience through being part of his family. Uh, but the father's uh, absence is, is not because uh, he has more important things to do than, than to be with us. It's, it's uh, not because uh, it's really a drain on him for him to be near and present with us. It's actually because he is off uh, preparing a world for us. Uh, he is doing business for our own sake. And this is the, the other attitude that comes with adoption, that comes with being in the family of God. It's that when he does return, we will have confidence in his return. This is how John uh, puts it in verse 28. And now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Uh, John, is, John is telling his readers that our father is gonna appear and it's not going to be an experience of shame. And this can only really mean two things. This means either that when the Father does appear, that our lives are in, in perfect moral order, that, that our lives cannot be improved upon. There's, there's nothing that, that we can do better to, to fix ourselves and make ourselves right. Or what it probably means is we're actually still just ourselves when the Father returns. But God's love 
uh, is still immense to us anyways. And I, I think part of what we'll uh, experience when the father returns is what we mentioned at the beginning a few minutes ago, which is uh, the adoptive love of the father, the, the calling love of the father. And John uh, tells us uh, that, that we're going to see this so clearly, so acutely, so powerfully in such a way that it's going to transform us. And it's going to be so rapturous, so wondrous uh, that it's going to melt away all of our sins and that all the dreams we had of being with the Father are going to be made true. And so as, as we struggle and strive in life to uh, become like our Father, the hope that is offered up to us is that he's coming to relieve us of our struggles and to give us the full experience of being part of his triune family. Let me pray for us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, great adoptive love yeah, that you have uh, moved towards us despite ourselves, that you have given us an elder brother uh, who has offered himself as a ransom and that your spirit is uh, renewing us after you. We pray that you would give us a deeper vision, deeper confidence in these truths. In his name, amen.